Welcome to Outside of the Box, not your neurotypical podcast. So what is Outside of the Box? Well, it's a podcast made by people who think differently, for people who think differently. Thinking outside of the box comes naturally to us, but life and building a career in a neurotypical world has its challenges. Each episode we will pick themes to discuss and would love your contribution because this is a place where we invite you to explore and share your challenges and experiences with us. If you have any questions for us or would like to contribute to the podcast, please tweet us at Digital Inc. Mank and we will be in touch. In today's episode, we cover how to travel to work and what challenges you might face when doing so, why neurodiversity is a superpower in the workplace and how to cope with your mental health in and outside of the workplace. It's a juicy jam-packed episode. We hope you're excited. We're almost coming out of lockdown and that means going back to the office and commuting using either the tram or car, whatever vehicle we, we use to get to the office. And we will face challenges when doing that. And that's why we've brought on two interns. So please welcome to the podcast, Matty and Lou. How are you both doing? I'm all right. Matty, how are you, how are you feeling today? Tired. Tired. Yeah, aren't yes. we all? It's exciting that we're about to come out of lockdown. That's why you two are on the podcast to discuss some of the things you did before lockdown and going to do after lockdown uh, regarding travel. How do you travel to work uh, before lockdown? How did you travel to the office? So I like took public transport and then I walked from Piccadilly Station because I took I, I'd take a bus first from my estate and then I would take the train afterwards, like from Stockport to Manchester Piccadilly, and then I'd walk down from Manchester Piccadilly to the office. So that was how I did it. What challenges do you guys face when travelling to work? What do you, what um, challenges do you sort of face? Nothing for me on pu- actual public transport, but since I'm like taking the streets to work, there's there's more challenges. I know there is a funny story of where you were getting attacked with fruit. Is that right? Yeah, literally, we just came out of work and we just, we just came out of work and I was literally on my way home. We were just coming down, I just came past the Shoe Del Chan station and we heard this loud bang and we were like, what the hell is that? And then I looked around and I looked down and there was a kiwi like on the floor and a kiwi just missed us. So, you know... And, and literally, that was like the most random attack I've ever experienced on myself. Someone but... throwing kiwis, that's very strange, to be honest. <laughs> it absolutely is. It was just so strange, like just th- attacking someone with a kiwi or throwing a fruit at someone else. It's like, what the that's hell is wrong with you? Basically, how do you combat those challenges, both of you? So, Matt, you have the problem with traffic. Lou, you have the problem with, you know, people in the street and obviously stuff like that. How do you combat those challenges? So, mine's pretty easy, but basically after that incident happened, I learned that if I wasn't, you know, with anybody on my way home from work, I would literally just take the tram home. I would take the tram to the station. You know, I'm obviously a lot safer on the tram because, you know, I'm in, a, in more compact space i'm going like directly to where i need to go like in a short space of time so that reduces the amount the the people coming at me with kiwis and fruit 
Um, sure. Mate, so how do you uh, combat your challenges that you face? Usually I just set off earlier so I get it on time. So that's a, that's a good way of combating the challenges, I guess, setting off earlier. So what advice would you give to young people that are looking to travel to work on their own? Yeah, so what I used to do when I was younger, and, you know, I do this all the time anyway, but, like, if, if you were going to a new place, which is kind of a bit like you're not, you don't really know it very well, I would recommend maybe, you know, going online and looking at, like, a bus or a train or a tram however you go, get to work screenshotting taking a screenshot of the timetables which they do change sometimes so do keep an eye out for that as well but whenever the bus you know comes goes to yours from the bus station for example you would like take a screenshot of that or if you're walking past the timetable like the physical one um, then take a natural picture of it and then you can remember like when your bus is coming or when your trains come in and what time your train will arrive that's how i got used to being in that area so let me recap a second you suggest that obviously people make sure they know the bus schedule or the tram schedule so they are prepared so basically come prepared when traveling on public transport which i think lou is a great tip is that yeah. um sort of what you you're getting at there yeah yeah absolutely yeah and now my you Hello. travel in a different way. You travel by, yes. by car. Now, yes. some people listening to this might not be old enough to learn to drive or, you know, might not have their driver's license yet. But what advice would you give uh, to a young person looking to travel on their own? So, well, I would highly suggest learning to drive. It is a pretty good skill. Mm-hmm. Easy. But I would also suggest, if you do learn to drive, save money for fuel. Because fuel is expensive, and a car uses quite a lot of fuel. And you don't want to be like on a motorway and just run out of fuel and break down because you've run out of fuel because you've been that one guy who's not saved up for money, not not saved up the money for fuel. Because everyone, no one likes that guy. It just breaks down and causes a big ass traffic jam in the motorway just because you've run out of fuel. Don't be that guy. Be the smart guy. Yeah, which I guess is you know. Learning to drive is um, a difficult skill, but if you can learn it, it's going to give you open up uh, a lot of opportunities. So, Luke, what are the benefits sort of to public transport? Because I personally think there are benefits, but it's I think cheaper. since you take public transport, Lou, what are the what are the benefits for those? So, yeah, I think I'm not saying they're more convenient, but they're like it, it, they're there for you. They're like a great service, and you know it will take it will take you near to or directly to the. You know, you know, to work. And I also think as well, like when you're taking the train, which don't be worried about, then it, then be mindful of like where it goes and like be mindful of where you need to get off at, which will be closest to where you're going to work. Like obviously driving, you can pick up your car and like take it straight to work whenever you want. But with a bus or like a train, it's obviously on on like a timetable. So, you know, you've kind of like got to be prepared for that. Like be prepared to, you know, leave the house like before the bus gets to the bus stop. And, you know, once you get off that bus and you want to take the train to Manchester or something like that, then you've got to like pretty much dart it straight to the station, you know, just so that you're right on time. But... 
I want to thank you guys for, for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing an insight on how you guys travel to work and, you know, the challenges you face and how you combat those challenges. So thank you, Lou, and, and thank you, Matty, for coming on the Outside of the Box podcast. We appreciate it very much, guys. Lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. We wanted to get some more thoughts around travel, so we invited another intern onto the podcast who's on a different internship than the Digital Inc. Agency supported internship. Brad, so how are you doing? Okay. Doing all right, sir, yeah? To an extent, yeah. What advice yeah. would you give to someone who is looking to travel to work or college on their own? Make sure you get up early enough to get on the bus. Just stick your earphones in the morning. Ignore everyone. Make sure you're on task. Yeah. That's some good advice. To be honest, the main one is keeping your distance. Recently, I saw an article that mentioned that most autistic adults are unemployed. And I don't think that's right. And I also read another article that are autistic people superheroes. And this article covered things like they have better concentration and employers should be seeking autistic people to get employed. So we've brought someone on. Mr. Rav, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Beck. So it's great that you're here and we're, we're going to be talking about why neurodiversity is a superpower in the workplace, um, which is an interesting topic. It certainly is. It's one that we've been working on a digital advantage for well, I'd say I've been working for about three years, but the organisation for about four or five years now to try and uh, figure out the way to increase neurodiversity in the workplace, because we see it as a, as a superpower, that's for sure. Because I don't think a lot of employers don't go seeking uh, that kind of employment. And I think it's a very unfair because there's a lot of hidden talent, which is basically, I think, is it Digital Advantage's um, slogan? That's right. Hidden talent revealed. That's what we do, not just for young people with, with special educational needs and disabilities, but certainly really applies here. Like you said, the unemployment rates for young people with SEND and, and particularly autism are, are ludicrously high. And so, yes, that is definitely a pool of talent that is very, very hidden. I don't know why that is. I think I, I personally think employers are scared or don't know enough about these hidden talents because they are obviously hidden. Um, so I guess that leads me into my first question. Why do you think employing someone that is neurodiverse is, a, is good for a company? I think it's good for a company for, for a lot of reasons. I think that neurodiverse people, as I've learned over the last few years, bring a whole different perspective to a company. They bring a difference in sort of how, how they think about things, how they perceive things, and ultimately how they can, particularly in the digital sector, how they can create and design things, whether that's products, websites, videos, or, or whatever sort of digital content there is. So I think they are hidden talents, and I think that a lot of people are afraid, I'd say, of employing people who are neurodiverse. And I personally think it's a superpower. That's absolutely right. And I think the, the fear thing that you say is probably true of some people, but I think it's a lack of knowledge, certainly. I think that any sort of fear that there might be is, is generally around a lack of knowledge on how to best support neurodiverse people within the workplace. I always use the example of wheelchair users. Now, if somebody's sole sort of disability, I'm not saying it's an easy disability to, to live with and to, to navigate because lots of places are inaccessible. But I think for an employer, if somebody said, right, 
this person can do exactly the same job as somebody else, but we need to have a, a better spacing of our desks or widen the door frames and, and put ramps or lifts in to make it accessible. It's a really clear and easy thing for somebody to see. That's the physical change we need to make. And we can have this wheelchair user offering as good a job as anybody else, which we don't know they can. When it comes to something like autism, for example, it's more invisible. You know, lots of people are autistic. You know, you wouldn't necessarily know that just from walking around or even on a few bits of communication with them until you're spending longer amount of time with them and realising that they might work in a slightly different way or need information presenting slightly differently. Sometimes it's just the case of being a bit more clear or visually or whatever it might be. And I think until companies and employers learn that and are trained in that and are understanding of that, that with a little bit of investment of time up front, you can get the rewards afterwards. And you said there yourself, Beck, you know, around really great work ethic um, and increased work ethic, I think because some of the challenges that autistic people facing in finding employment. So that shows through, as well as you mentioned in the digital sector, the ability to concentrate and focus on specific tasks in a way that's really needed, such as video editing, coding, animation, analysing data. You know, if you're doing data analytics for social media or something, to be able to have that brain to focus on it, they can get those benefits back with that bit of investment at first. But I think it's it's all about awareness. I think that's increasing. I think people are more and more interested in learning how they can increase neurodiversity in their workforce, but there's still a long way to go, as, as, as you know. Yeah, there's a there's a definitely a, a big gap. I think the changes that employers are going to need to make, the rewards are a lot bigger than mm. the changes. I, I agree. I agree entirely. I think the benefits that you've outlined and we've discussed there absolutely outweigh that investment. It's just showing them that so that they make that investment of time. You know, it's a member of staff or a couple of members of staff, depending on the size of the organisation, to be able to learn about this and incorporate these employment practices in that way to support people with autism. Once you've done it once, you, you grow, you know, you learn, you get more confident and you'd be able to do more and grow your team. But I think I totally agree with you. Benefits far outweigh the initial work that needs to be done. So if an employer wanted to go about employing someone who is neurodiverse, how would they um, do that? I think the first thing they want to do really is to start to learn more about it. I think if they're already keen to do that, they've probably got a bit of an understanding of neurodiversity. Depending on what region they're in, there are networks set up, such as the National Autistic Society. They have branches in each region they're in. That's a great place to start, just to start figuring out then what local networks there are, what learning and employment providers there are, ways they can access young people in their area to reveal that hidden talent in the first place. Where's one such example, Digital Advantage, We've got our digital supported internship in Greater Manchester. We're working with 15 young people with special educational needs. We also have access to other young people with special educational needs. And we are training these young people specifically to move into either employment or self-employment, you know, ideally. And there are people out there doing this work in these areas. So it will take a little bit of digging. It won't take much. You know, it's a bit of a Google search to start. And then working with those companies workforces will get that access to that training the the information they need to be able to employ a neurodiverse young person and to employ them well yeah 
if the employers put themselves out there, I guess, and, and start looking for that information, they'll soon see the changes in, in training they'll need to take, but then they'll also soon see the actual benefits that has. Yeah, absolutely. I think more importantly as well, we're talking about what they'll need to do as an employer. Now, that's really important because there is something that will need to be done, but also that there's loads of help to do it. You know, it's not starting from scratch. Work is being done out there. So, yes, there's a gap there. You know, if employers can can just do that search and find it out, they'll find there's materials, there's training, there's support networks, there's parent forums, there's young people's forums where they can learn this stuff pretty quickly. Some of it's more specialist, but the right people are around to make that work in all these areas. So, yeah, it is a bit of work, but the help is there. What about advice would you give to um, neurodiverse young people looking to get employed? I think that, first and foremost, like with any young person, neurodiverse or not, you know, start thinking about things that you enjoy. Start thinking about things that you like, that you would might want to do. Now, that could start with hobbies, subjects at school or college or whatever that might be. And then try and find careers-focused support. Now, again, that might come from families. Lots of families have good networks but also through the career services at schools and colleges. They're there to support you to find your way. I think once you've gone down that road, it's really important then to be, in my opinion, it's easy for me to say, but be as nice and upfront about what challenges or or things you have as soon as you can. And that's not always easy. And I'm not neurodiverse, so it's, you know, I'm not saying that this is comfortable for everybody to do. But I think the more that people know about your challenges in the first instance, the more support you can access or the right support at the right time and as as soon as possible. And then, to be honest, it's the same for, I'd say, the same sort of thing for neurodiverse young people as as, uh, non-neurodiverse. Build online portfolios, build experience. You know, it doesn't have to be work experience from a company at first. Look at stuff. If you're interested in coding, find free online courses and code there's free stuff out there that you can get you started and build stuff because that's what you need to showcase yourself to an employer and you can show that you're one step ahead of the others because lots of people won't do that so if you're doing it and you can show it you've built something through your piece of code or you've learned how to do this animation you've self-taught video editing and you've made a video you've made a website pull all that together because people love that that initiative and showcasing it then you can start looking for specific programs that support neurodiverse young people into employment, just like we've told employers to look for that help. A good place to start is your local college. See what local colleges are offering. They will generally have pathways leaders and support staff to help young people find opportunities, whether that's directly from the course or whether it's onto a supported internship, which is kind of like a bridge to employment, which is what we're offering at the moment and as a bridge to employment to get you that specialist support to get into work. Indeed, there are resources to help. And I will add to uh, what you said before about uh, just trying things and learning, I guess, with the free resources. I've done that myself and it works. Find something you're passionate about and then, you know, start learning that. And then you can go to an employer and show that you've taken these steps. Got one last question. And we've pretty much already answered this, but what advice would you give to employers? Be completely open-minded about neurodiversity. Even if you're already looking down that road, you know, continue on down it. And to employers that aren't sure or perhaps do have some fear or a lack of knowledge, you know, that you mentioned earlier, which absolutely is the case. Just be open-minded. Just take the time to do a little bit of reading, to learn a little bit about it. Talk to people who are supporting neurodiversity young people, but, you know, actually to neurodiversity young people. 
so you realise that it's not that much of a stretch. And, and, you know, you'll come to that conclusion yourself, to be honest, that it's a good thing to do and the right thing to do, not just as a, you know, a nice thing to do to employ somebody who's neurodiverse, but actually from a business perspective, it can be a productive thing to do and a good business decision, which is equally as important. I just want to say thank you, Rav, for coming on the podcast. Now, before you go, to anywhere people can, you know, reach Digital Advantage, yeah, well, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, happy to plug us. You can find us at digitaladvantage.org.uk and you can also find a phone number and a contact form. So if you know that you want to do a digital career, uh, you can go to the aforementioned website that Rab mentioned. And, uh, you know, Digital Advantage is another resource that you can use. And hopefully if you're in school or college, you know, you want to do something digital, maybe you could get Digital Advantage to come into your school or give you some advice. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Rav. We really appreciate you coming on Outside of the Box. Neurodiversity is a superpower. Absolutely. In the Digital Link Agency, spoke to some interns where video gaming helped uh, them with their mental health and that's why we brought on one of the interns to talk about coping with mental health using video games today so welcome dean to the podcast how are you feeling today i'm feeling great thank you very much welcome dean let's kick off how do you cope with your mental health what i usually do i just uh, sit inside if it's cold out and just play some games some zombies talk to some friends and if it's warm enough i just go outside and take a walk around my area for about an hour, two hours, just to uh, take my mind off a lot of things. It's, de- it's definitely great for the mind and soul to, uh, to get out a lot, especially the body. Which then, uh, I'm guessing, improve that mental health. So it's good that you have those, am I correct in saying that video games are a big part of coping with your mental health? Massively, yeah. It just It's one of those things where you can just put yourself into this world of like Call of Duty or overwatch where you're just some a completely different person to who you are in real life and you think you're that person and it feels a lot better just as a, a stress relief i would suggest that spending time with your family that can help obviously it's during the coronavirus outbreaks well pandemic try and stay with your bubble as close as you can especially if you're staying indoors try and keep your mind off what's going on around the world so if you need to watch movies just watch a watch anything especially if you really need to just get that stress relief i've got a list from another intern luke who's brought in a list of games that people can try luke has recommended animal crossing uh which i believe is a very calming sort of tycoon game yeah Uh, i actually talked with someone about this the other day uh she plays animal crossing new horizon and it's like a it's like I, i don't know it's like you can build your own farm and um pick apples and stuff it's like a an rpg i don't know too much about it though but i've heard it's very uh it's very good he's listed some other games like college it was and we'll just quickly skip through these escape from tarkov runescape vr chat which vr chat you can obviously become very sociable so if you are in a lockdown for the next couple of weeks even though we are coming out of it as of the time recording this podcast there's some games that you can use but obviously dean those are the uh, games you can use so thank you luke for you know suggesting those sort of games i'm good at warzone I might as well go on after work for a stress relief. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty good if you were if you're really good at Warzone. Thanks, Dean. And pretty much one final question is: Do video games help people with mental health, and do you think uh, more people should use video games to cope with their mental health? It depends on what game. If you're playing like a horror game and you really love horror, but you don't like racing games because you're just very bored of it, yeah, just just play horror games. 
because if you're playing a game that you don't enjoy or you don't like, he's going to decrease your mental health. It's not going to make it that great. If you want to play a role-play multiplayer, multiverse online or whatever it's called, MMOs, go play that if, if you enjoy that sort of thing. If you love that competitive crush, you can play something like Overwatch. If you want to learn how to play as a team and survive, you can play probably Warzone or Fortnite, some of those games. Also, I think there should be a set time for how long you should play video games for because if you play a game for 12 hours straight, it, it might not be any good for you. You need to probably play an hour or two a day and then go out for a bit with some family. Let's just quickly move away from uh, video games for now and let's discuss other tactics they could use to cope with their mental health and improve it. Definitely watching movies, that can also improve your mental health, especially if your friends watch movies any re- as well. Any movie recommendations? that Any Marvel film will do good. X-Men, Avengers, they're all pretty damn good. But um, Especially Star Wars can help you as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and no even TV shows, if you like some Peaky Blinders, if you find something that you love, if it's art or if you like to take pictures, photography, videography, find something that you love and try and do it as a hobby. If you can do it professionally, that's good. That can also improve your mental health and make you feel more human. Which, you know, is the end goal. You want to improve our mental health. So thank you, Dean, for coming on the outside of the box, talking about mental health through the power of video games and improving your mental health through that. We really do appreciate that. Thank you for having me. So thank you, Dean. So now... We've got Thomas, who is going to be speaking about his top tips for being neurodiverse. And I think this is really important that Thomas has gathered some great top tips from the other interns in the Digital Inc. Agency and has also researched the web for some top tips. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing today? Yeah. Hey, Beck. I'm doing very good. Hope you're having a good day. Hope everyone's listening. Have a good day, too. Good day to you all. Uh, yeah, welcome on to the, the podcast. It's exciting to have you on. So, so let's actually kick off. So your first top tip is... Top tip number one is raising awareness and promoting a diverse workforce. How we do this is to make sure you have the support you find necessary when you're in the workplace. Why? Because just like in school, it's very common that people may stumble across a task which may feel like you're at a dead end due to not knowing what to do, which is why getting support is very useful, in my opinion. It reduces the likelihood of getting stuck on a task and provides the necessary help one may require. Making sure you have the necessary support needed when going into the work uh, force and make sure your employer knows your needs and the support you'll need to do the best job uh, possible is really important. Thomas, what are your thoughts particularly around that? Well, this leads to my second top tip, asking for help. As I said, I think it's important that when you're in the workplace, asking for help is very necessary if you need it, which is why when you're seeking help on a task, I'd recommend if you are facing difficulties asking for help, I think you should begin by giving yourself a time limit on the task. And when your self-imposed time limit is up, that's when you should seek for help. And when you do so, you should do so in a calm and polite manner with a simple phrase such as, excuse me, please, or could you help me out, please? Something along those lines. I think a lot of people struggle to ask for help when when in the workplace because they might find speaking to people or contact very difficult. We've already discussed how you can get help and overcome your weaknesses. You can turn those weaknesses into a strength if you try hard and well enough, which is why I want to focus on building on your strengths by never giving up and learning from a high-value skill. If you learn a high-value skill, you will be more employable 
and valuable to employers. If employers know you have had experience in the field that they are asking for from you, there is a great chance they will accept you in their work field. Examples of high-value skills employees may be seeking are marketing, video editing, coding, etc. If you show your experiences in these fields to employers who may require it, you will be more employable. I agree with that quite a bit. I think learning a high-value skill is the one of the most best things you can do. Now, high-value skill doesn't have to do this, uh, be the things you mentioned, Thomas. I think it could be anything that you're passionate about. And the reason you want to learn these skills is because these jobs are in demand, but there's not enough people to fill these jobs. So even being neurodiverse, I think that learning one of these skills would help you a lot in the workforce. You can try a lot of different skills that you might enjoy. For example, if you like video games, you could become a video game tester. And there's lots of high valuable skilled jobs out there that you could try. And like Thomas mentioned, there is, there's marketing, isn't there, Thomas? There's video editing. There's all these different jobs. And if you learn that, you are going to become uh, more valuable to these employers than your average person who uh, might just have some basic skills. You're going to be really good at this one skill, which is really important. And then obviously that will increase your chances of getting employed. You mentioned the making sure you put a time limit uh, on asking for help. So, for example, if you don't feel comfortable asking for help, you would not ask for help for those 15 minutes, try and do it on your own. If you can't achieve it, you would then go and ask for help using some simple phrases, which are, Thomas? Which are simple phrases such as, excuse me, can you help me? Or could you give me a hand? I'm stuck. So making sure you have that support. And if you do get stuck, you can use simple tactics to ask for help because people obviously want to help you in the workforce. And I think that will help you overcome fear of asking for help. Now, I know it can be tricky, but if you follow Thomas's tactics and I'm sure you'll get there. Now, his third tip was to ask for a, learn a high valuable skill, which I think is really important. And if you do that, you will be more valuable to employers. So well done, Thomas. I Thank you for coming on the podcast and giving us your top tips. I think this is really going to help some people learn about, explore the world of employment a bit more and help them grow with these tips. So thank you for coming on Outside of the Box. Thomas, we really appreciate it. Uh, We'll see you later. Thank you. Today's podcast episode was incredible. We went over so many different topics, traveling to work and what challenges you may face, why neurodiversity is a superpower in the workplace and how to cope with your mental health. Thank you to all my guests for coming on the podcast. You gave us a really big insight into these topics. So big thank you to Rav for speaking about why neurodiversity is a superpower. Big thanks to Lou, Matty and Brad for speaking about how to travel to work and what challenges you may face. Uh, Big thank you to Dean for speaking about how to cope with your mental health in and outside the workplace. And how can I forget Thomas, who gave us some amazing top tips. So thank you, everyone, for coming on the podcast. We hope you had um, fun listening to this podcast and maybe learned something new or explored something new. I have been your host, Beck. It's been a pleasure going across all these different themes for our first episode. And it's also exciting because this episode is going to be featured in the Mozilla Festival, which is really exciting. So thank you for listening to our first episode of the podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, please tweet us at Digital Inc. Magazine.